Good morning. Uh, today's verse is Philippians 2, uh, 19 through 30. If the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon f for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself. Like a son with a f his father, he has served with me in preaching the, the good news. I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what is going to happen to me here. And I have confidence from the Lord that my, I myself will come to see you soon. Meanwhile, I thought I should send, uh, send Epaphroditus back to you. He is a true brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. And he was your messenger to help me in, in my need. I am sending him because he has been longing to see you. And he was very distressed that you, you heard he was ill. And he certainly was ill. In fact, he was, almost died. But God had mercy on him and, and also on me so that I would not have one sorrow after another. So I, am, so I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know you will be glad to see him, and then I will not be so, so worried about you. Welcome him in, in the Lord's love and with great joy and give him the honor that people like him deserve, for he risked his life for the work of of Christ, and he was at the point of death while doing me what you couldn't do from far away. Amen. You may not be familiar with the name John Kevin Hines. He is one person of a group of about 2,000 people who've jumped from the Golden Gate Bridge to commit suicide. He is also among an even smaller group of about 16 who have survived that deadly leap. As he tells his story, it was on September 25, 2000, that he felt that he had nothing left to live for. After all, he thought, nobody cares about me. After he left his home that morning, he boarded a bus to the bridge. He wept the entire bus ride and decided if anyone, if just one person smiled at him. If just one person asked him what was wrong, asked him why he was so upset, he wouldn't jump. He made his way to the middle of the bridge, and he looked down at the water crying for over 40 minutes. Then a tourist approached him, asking only if he could take her picture, which he did. Then she walked away, not noticing the tear-stained cheeks or the red, puffy eyes, tired from hours of crying. That's it, he said. Nobody cares. So he took a few steps back, and he ran towards the railing and threw himself over. As the 19-year-old college freshman plummeted towards the water 220 feet below him, he regretted his decision instantly. 
He tried to scream, but the force of the descent sucked the air right out of his lungs. So he called out to God for a second chance, which miraculously he got, or we never would have heard how he was a simple, encouraging smile away from death. You see, encouragement is something our society is desperately lacking. But at the same time, it's also something that psychologists and researchers say we desperately need. Scripture says the same thing. Scientists are only backing it up. Scripture is filled with verses about the importance of encouragement pointing us to the necessity of encouragement in our lives. The Greek word parakaleo can be found over a hundred times just in the New Testament alone because encouragement matters. In Hebrews 3.13, the writer said, But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. See, there's a purpose in encouragement. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Paul says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just, in fact, as you are doing. Jesus reminds us that in this world, we will have trouble. But what does he do? He follows it up with a word of encouragement. Fear not, for I have overcome the world. Encouragement. That's the theme of our text this morning. Over the past several weeks, we've been studying lesser-known characters in the Bible to find out the lessons for us in their stories. After all, if God didn't want us to learn from them, he wouldn't have put them in the Bible in the first place. And our character this morning is mentioned in only a few verses. In fact, his name is almost longer than the verses that talk about him. Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. Now, if you remember, several weeks ago, we were studying the character Lydia. And it was through her obedience to Christ that the church in Philippi had begun to meet in her home and secured that foundation for the Philippian church, who are now being written to by Paul and encouraged by Paul. In this first verse of chapter 2, this is what he says. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Paul's encouraging them to become more like Christ. If they want to experience peace, if they want to experience joy, That only comes when they take on the attitude of Christ. The attitude of Christ means that we're humble. It means that we think of others 
as better than ourselves. Having the attitude of Christ means not being consumed with your own interests, but looking out for others. You see, when we take on the attitude of Christ, that's when we can encourage one another. Now, it's interesting that Paul finishes up this entire chapter on humility, on servanthood, on sacrifice, with a relatively unknown man. How many of you have even heard of Epaphroditus? Why does he do that? You see, at the opening of the chapter, Paul gives us Jesus as the ultimate example of a life of humility, of servanthood and sacrifice. Then he uses the example of his own life. And then after that, he talks about the example of Timothy. And before he ends the chapter, he talks about Epaphroditus. I believe there's an important point here for us. There's only one Jesus. There have been a few Pauls in the history of the church. There have been many more Timothys in the church over the years. But there are many, many, many more Epaphroditus. He's the average Joe. He's you and me. Judging by his name, which means lover of Aphrodite, he was raised in a pagan family. And then he came to know Jesus much later in his life. He's the common man. There's no record of him being a teacher or a leader, or holding any other office or official title in the early church. So by using Epaphroditus, Paul's taking away any excuse of the Philippians and for us to do God's work. Oh, I'm, 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 not, I'm not a leader in the church. Either is Epaphroditus. Oh, but, but I, I, no, I'm not Epaphroditus. Look at Epaphroditus. Look what he did. Well, what did he do? This is what Paul says about him in verse 25. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He's a true brother, a co-worker, a fellow soldier, and he was your messenger to help me in my need. My brother a bond that goes deeper than simply a familial relationship. It's a spiritual bond, one that was created through the blood of Christ, one that we share in here. We are brothers and sisters. He called him a co-worker. Epaphroditus is working diligently side by side with Paul for the common goal of sharing Christ with others. See, Paul's in prison. There are no cities to take for Christ from prison. There are no glorious missions to the heathens from prison. Just the everyday chores of helping people in their daily lives. Maybe finding people that Paul needs to talk to and then bringing them to Paul's prison cell. Perhaps even helping Paul transcribe letters to other churches. You see, Paul doesn't trivialize his time in prison. He doesn't see it as wasted time, even though he can't do what he wants to do. 
what he sees as mission work, he can't do. But he also doesn't see that time as wasted. So Epaphroditus is a worker, a co-worker with Paul. No matter that Paul is the famous apostle and that Epaphroditus is just this humble layperson that has come to help. He's made a valuable contribution to the mission. Paul knows, I can't do what I'm doing without Epaphroditus and his help. He's a co-worker in the great work of the gospel. Paul sees them as a team. They are co-laborers. You see, Paul is encouraged by Epaphroditus' work. And in turn, Epaphroditus is encouraged by Paul as he learns from this man of great faith. We learn from one another. And then Paul calls him a fellow soldier. Paul understands that they're in a spiritual battle, fighting against the same enemy. Whatever Paul was battling, so was Epaphroditus. Spiritually or physically, again, they're side by side, fellow soldiers. Paul has no illusions about his situation. He's not just sitting in a church comfortably week after week with his friends. He recognizes that he's a soldier in Christ's army, as are we. He knows that he's at war, and he doesn't hesitate to remind the troops of their status, too. He writes to Timothy in a a later letter in 2 Timothy. He says, endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. The officer, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who enlisted you, that's who you're serving in the army because it's a spiritual battle. We're not to be complainers. We're not to be slackers. We're soldiers in a spiritual battle. We should expect to endure hardship, expect difficulty. We're in a mission, and we will achieve God's mission no matter the cost. Epaphroditus knows this. That's why Paul calls him a fellow soldier. And because of the enduring difficulties, because of the hardships, we're called to encourage one another. Then he calls him a messenger. Epaphroditus was relaying messages for Paul. And in doing so, he was also a messenger of the gospel. He was a messenger of the church. He was a messenger of Christ bringing the gospel with him everywhere he went. That's what we're doing here. Every one of you is a messenger for the church the body of Christ. Every one of you is a messenger for the gospel. In 
In these few verses, what Paul has done, he's lifted up Epaphroditus. He's saying to the Philippians, you think what I'm doing for the kingdom is important? But what Epaphroditus is doing is just as important. It's just as vital to the kingdom. Paul's use of these words to describe Epaphroditus are important because it helps us identify with him. We too are co-workers. We too are fellow soldiers enlisted in the spiritual battle. Messengers of the gospel wherever we go. Doctor's office, DMV, grocery store. It doesn't matter. You are a messenger of the gospel. You are vital to the movement of God. We don't know how Epaphroditus got chosen to be the messenger or the minister to Paul. Scripture doesn't tell us that. But that doesn't matter. What matters is that he saw the need. And when he saw the need, he was obedient to fill it. He relied on God. And he put the needs of the church and the needs of Paul ahead of his own. He put on the attitude of Christ. Humility, sacrificial, encouraging. He made a difference through his ministering to Paul. So he did it without complaining. Even though he was so ill, he almost died. Love doesn't come without risk. We know it going in. God says, do it anyway. Look what I did. Look at the love I poured out for you. Encourage someone else. Now here's where the story gets kind of exciting. Let's look back at verse 25. I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. Why? Why? In verse 26, I'm sending him because he has been longing to see you. And he was very distressed that you heard he was ill. And he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him. And also on me, so that I would not have one sorrow after another. So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know you will be glad to see him. And then I will not be so worried about you. See, here's what's going on. The Philippians hear that Paul's in prison. And they're not able to support or minister or encourage him. And they want to encourage him, but he's over 800 miles away. That's equivalent to walking from Miami to Washington, D.C. So they send Epaphroditus. He says, send me, I'll go. And so they send him. He does what they can't do right now. He becomes that fellow worker and soldier to Paul until he becomes so ill he almost dies. And so then the Philippians, then they worry about Epaphroditus. Is he okay? Did he accomplish the mission? We sent him to encourage Paul, but who's encouraging Epaphroditus? Then Epaphroditus hears that they're worried. Then he in turn becomes concerned and distressed for the Philippians. Who's encouraging the Philippians, he must be saying. Then Paul, he's looking at the whole picture, He becomes distressed because both Epaphroditus and the Philippians are now, what? Who's encouraging who here? 
They're all connected to each other. You see, they're family. They're experiencing what it means to be what Paul said earlier, being of the same mind, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. They share in each other's sorrow as well as in each other's joy. You see, unity of spirit is their starting place for encouraging one another. And it always starts with Jesus. Paul tells the Philippians, it's necessary for you to see Epaphroditus so that you can rejoice with us in God's work. The Philippians did what they could. They encouraged Paul by sending Epaphroditus to minister to him, which he does. So then Paul is able to continue his ministry in Rome, which in turn encourages Epaphroditus. And as he goes back to the Philippian church, they too will be encouraged because, wow, look how God used every one of us to accomplish his will. You see, as each member of the body does their part and fulfills their God-given purpose, the joy we experience is magnified. We're all lifted up. Then we're all filled with encouragement so that we can pour out encouragement on those that don't know Jesus. Part of our job is to keep our heart open, our eyes and our mind open to the opportunities to encourage that God puts before us. They won't always be the big things. In fact, more often than not, they're going to be in the small things. We just have to be in tune to them. Several years ago, I had gone to the hospital to visit a friend. And I checked in at the visitor kiosk with a little old man sitting at the desk. And he proceeded to tell me that my friend was in room 403. And I thought, well, that's funny because yesterday she was in room 512. So I asked the elderly gentleman, I said, what room was that? And he looked at his paper again, and he said, 403. And I didn't want to push the little old man, and I asked if he was sure. I didn't want to make him feel bad, so I put on my little visitor pass, and off to room 403 I went. The door was slightly open, so I knocked and poked my head in. I was greeted by a warm hello from a nice elderly lady, but it wasn't my friend. I said hello, but excused myself rather quickly because I was feeling a little bit awkward about entering a hospital room of a sick person that I had no idea who it was. And so I quickly exited, went to the nurse's station on that floor, and asked about my friend's room. They looked it up, and sure enough, she was still in room 512. So I went, visited with my friend, stayed with her for a while. But after I had my visit with my friend and I started driving home, I couldn't get the woman from room 403 out of my head. God kept telling me, go back. Go back. And I complained. I was more concerned about what others would think. There was a battle going on. That evening, it was all I could think about. 
I tried doing and thinking of a thousand other things. But that woman from Worm 403 kept popping back in my head. So the next morning, I got back in my car, and I headed back to the hospital. And I prayed the whole way there. Lord, what am I supposed to do? I don't know this person. Lord, all right, I'll go in the room, but I'll show you. She's not going to be there. You see, she won't be there, Lord, because this is silly. I'm going to look so foolish, Lord. I'm going to go all the way in there, and I'm going to look silly. I checked in at the visitor kiosk, checked in for my friend's room, got my visitor pass, went to the elevator, and as the elevator rose, so did my heart rate, because I knew I was stopping at the fourth floor to go to room 403. Fear was taking over. I was feeling a little crazy. And I was still trying to come up with any possible excuse to avoid getting off on fourth floor. Sure enough, fourth floor was there. Door opened. God pushed me out. So down the hall I went to room 403. I knocked on the door, and there was the same lady from the day before. She looked up. She smiled as she saw me, saying, You were here yesterday. I said, Yes, I was. And I proceeded to tell her the whole story of what happened. And when I finished... She looked over to her grandson who was there with her. And she smiled a beautiful grand smile. And with a sparkle in her eye, she said, Did you hear that? God sent her here to pray with me. Do you understand the magnitude of that? As we prayed, She held my hand so tight, and she praised Jesus through the whole prayer. Her smile and her joy was infectious. And I wondered as I left if I was there to encourage her or if God had sent me there for her to encourage me. Isn't that the beauty of how our Lord works? This was several years ago. And as I was preparing this message, God brought it to my attention. And as I typed it, I wept and I wept. I said, Lord, I don't know if I'll be able to do it. He said, of course you're going to do it because they need to hear the story. They need to know that you're just as broken as they are. They need to know that you're just as argumentative and stubborn as they are. But that when they get over the fear, they'll see My beauty, they'll see my love, they'll see my provision. Because this wasn't the first time I ever complained to God. And I'm sure I've missed a few opportunities since then. But I pray, and I pray that there are less of them. As I remember the joy and the encouragement I felt as God used me. When I left that day, I was on cloud nine. 
Wow, God, I almost missed it. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I almost missed it. It is no accident that you're sitting here this morning. God has gifted you for a purpose, a purpose uniquely designed for you. You see, Paul gives us the example of Epaphroditus to show us that no matter who you are or where you're at in your Christian walk, whether you're a believer for two days or 20 years, you have the opportunity to join God in what he's doing every single day, every moment of every day. That's a lot of opportunities. We're called to care. We're called to love. We're called to give, to minister, to sacrifice. We're called to encourage one another and everyone we come across. You see, without encouragement, life is burdensome. Without encouragement, we get overwhelmed by the very real pains of our lives. Without encouragement, we feel unloved. We may even begin to think that God doesn't have concern for us. So the Bible says, encourage one another to remind each other of the truth that God loves us, that God equips us, that we are treasured, that our struggles are worth it. Encouragement gives hope. Encouragement gives strength to keep moving forward. Encouragement helps us keep our eyes on Jesus. Maybe God's already been tugging at your heart. There's someone that he's telling you, you need to encourage them. Don't just look at the big things. Our God is a God of details. He's in the small things as much as he's in the big things. Encouragement can come in all kinds of forms. A smile, a handshake, a kind word, a warm hello, how are you? Listening, praying, a note, a phone call. You see, biblical encouragement, as we see in the example of Paul and Epaphroditus, is helping someone find the courage within, the strength to keep moving forward. The root word of encourage is to strengthen. When we encourage someone, we give them the strength to keep going. When you take hold of that opportunity that God puts before you, that's when you'll find the joy. A joy that's going to overflow and bubble up in you. Joy that you can't contain. Joy that you want to share with others. And then as we come together as a body, united in spirit, united in mind, in love for a common purpose, when we share in that joy, it's magnified 100,000 times. And then the world looks in and says, wow, what's going on with those people? Have you ever noticed our logo? 
It's a circle, a symbol of unity. The words around it are, are worship one. Depend on God and praise him, for he is the one that's for you. He is the source of our encouragement. Love everyone. Humble yourself and put others first. Only comes when we worship the Father first. Then serve as one. Live a life poured out for others to make a difference. Encouragement, that's it. I challenge you to be an Epaphroditus this week. When God puts that opportunity before you to encourage someone, don't complain about it. Don't make excuses to go and do something else. He'll see you through it. Pray that he keeps pushing you. And then rejoice that he's using you to make a difference. And then after, tell someone so we can rejoice together. Encourage one another and magnify the glory of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, you have loved us in ways that are unimaginable. Lord, your mercy and your grace that's poured out for us is we we can't wrap our minds around it. it it's too too big for us to understand. Help us to take little pieces, Father. Reveal just the small pieces every day in the pieces that you put in our path, the people that come across our path, Father. May we be vessels of grace. May we be vessels of mercy that pour out encouragement on others. You tell us to not keep our light under a basket. Help us to overcome the fear of shining that light. Help us. Give us the courage, Father, to shine that light brightly for all to see. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. In his holy and precious name, amen.